good to be up here and to be sharing. I'm a little nervous, but I wore my lavender pants. So, and this shirt, this t-shirt, by the way, it's a designer t-shirt, okay? This isn't an oversight. This is intentional. I'm trying to look cool. Um, uh, and, and for all the staff that were at the last service, I'm using all the same jokes again. So just be ready for that. Uh, but, but I really am so excited, and I've been so excited to preach, uh, so much so I've been growing out this beard, as you can see, um, so that Todd would subconsciously associate me with Jesus and ask me to preach, and it's worked, uh, and I'm here. But I really, I have been uh, marinating and thinking about and pondering, like, the story we're celebrating, the, the narrative, the reality that we're celebrating that happened a weekend, in a weekend 2,000 years ago. There are so many aspects. It's like a beautiful diamond. You could hold it up to the light and move it one way, and you'll see refractions and angles and cuts and colors. And then you move it a little bit more, you'll see other items. There's just, it's like an infinite story that you can explore and plumb and think about. And so to even narrow down is so difficult, but God has really been sort of putting something in my heart that I have just been rolling around in my, my mind and life. And I want to share it with you this morning. So I'm so glad that you're here. I want to start with a, a question. Have you ever joined in on someone else's thing? Like you've joined in, it's not your thing. You're not, you don't do it all the time, but you join in on their thing. So my wife and I, my beautiful wife, Bray, Bray, wave, wave your hand. There she, look at her. Goodness gracious. If this sermon goes good or bad, it doesn't matter. I go home with her, so I'm, I'm fine. But um, my wife and I, we love to do staycation, right? So save a little money on the hotels, send the kids to one of our parents' uh, houses. There's, there's grandmama right here. Um, and then just go crazy. Have like a weekend of just whatever. But what we like to do is try each other's like activities, things that we do normally in our life that we always know um, the other does it and you don't do it. And, and so sometimes we'll go on like a bike ride that I like to do or try a little sandwich and salad place. Like no guys, like let's go to a salad place. But you know, you go to a salad place and try that out. Uh, this, about a year ago, Bray invited me to participate in an activity that she does several times a week. It's an activity they call Pilates. Oh, thank you so much. Look at that. It's just, yeah, it is good. Uh, Pilates. Has anyone heard of Pilates? Yeah, Brenda's, Brenda's a Pilates instructor, by the way, um, and your last name fits it very well, Pilates, um, Brenda Blood, what a great last name. Let me tell you a bit about Pilates for those of you that aren't as familiar with uh, this activity. I think it comes from the Greek term for anguish and unspeakable suffering. It is, um, it is I, I'm, and I'm also sure it's used as an enhanced interrogation um, mechanism in, in a lot of circles. So Pilates is like this, you go into this place, it's, it's a Pilates room, and they have these things they call reformers. They used to call it the rack in the Middle Ages, but they're called reformers. And you go and you get, Bray gets me all set up, the lights are up, there's some pop music, I think some Tay, some tay Sway was playing, so I felt good. And I'm, it's, it's a room full of soccer moms. Like, I'm the only man in there, and I'm feeling good about myself. I mean, I trained jujitsu for two years. My whole body's a weapon, if you're wondering, okay? And I'm wearing my, one of my mini Sinatra tank tops, a little chest hair is kind of poking out. I feel like I'm a man, and this is a ladies' thing, and I'm a little bit, you know, the patriarchy. I'm trying to keep it alive. And so, so there I am, and things go start off great. I'm thinking this is going to be wonderful. My wife does it. She's beautiful. I'm stronger than her. The lights... It, 
it kind of ominously, suddenly the, the trainer comes up, the lights come down, sort of Haunted Mansion style, like no windows and no doors. And all of a sudden, the music starts. They go, all right, we're going to do this thing they deceitfully call a warm-up. A warm-up. Now, we're talking, we got 50 minutes, five zero minutes on the clock for Pilates. And I'm three minutes into the warm-up. And then the whimpering begins. It starts subtle. Maybe it's mistaken for just deep breathing at first, but then distinctively you can hear, no, that's a whimper. There's a grown middle-aged 41-year-old man whimpering on that reformer uh, near the door. It, it felt like my abs. Has anyone seen the movie Braveheart? Remember that last scene in Braveheart? You know, the freedom, that scene. It felt a lot like that, like almost exactly. And you're looking at the clock, and they say that in... Uh, crisis situations, time slows down. I've heard that before. Well, I can tell you it does. It absolutely, the clock started moving backwards. We're in a wormhole, a time warp, and it just won't end. And you realize like, I am in the thick of this and there's no dignified way out. I can't like, do I fake a phone call? Do I fake a seizure? What do I do to get out of this situation I'm in right now? I'm looking over at my beautiful wife and I'm like, I'm mouthing help me, help me. And she just smiles back, looking cute, doing all these things. What's the point? The point is this. My wife, I've watched her do two all-natural childbirths, okay? I'm pretty sure I now know the feeling, the experience that she went through. So it's important that we're bonding. No. Um, the point is, if your wife asks you to go to Pilates, don't do it. Just avoid and do something else. I, I've, I've entitled this sermon, Easter in the Thick of It. Easter in the Thick of It. One of the fascinating topics in my mind, the thing that I think about a lot, as Todd sort of mentioned, I kind of have this weird split brain. I'm one part cerebral academic. I love to just read stuff dead people wrote that no one else reads anymore and just get lost in the catacombs of study and the humanities and history. And I did, I did a PhD at UCLA and the, the topic I chose was history of religion. So I looked at ancient religions and I've taught on it. I'm fascinated by this thing that all of us human beings, all of us hominids seem to be addicted to, which is religion. And there are so many different expressions. And when you compare religions and you look at different faiths. There are a lot of continuities and a lot of differences. And um, one of the areas that every single major worldview, world religion, even philosophy, I would argue, holds to is that there is a problem. Like there is a problem. There's something that must be done, something that must be fixed. There is a gap and there is suffering. There is this thing called suffering in this world. And the human experience, we all know it. It's not long, if we're honest with ourselves, that we come face-to-face -face with deep, deep suffering. And so in the, the Christian worldview, the Christian story, and by the way, all my Bible verses are printed on this. I'm not just a freewheeling pastor. I just wanted to keep it on cardstock for the sake of convenience. Um, one of the, I don't know why I said that, just self-confession. Um, one of the interesting parts of uh, world religion, every single one believes there's a problem of some sort. And Christianity calls this problem, in Hebrew, it's chata. Everyone say chata. Uh, or in Greek, it's hamartia. It's this, it's this term we translate into English as sin, but it's a broad category. It's rebellion. It's missing the mark. It's, a whole litany of things can fall in this, this category. This, 
this idea that human beings are somehow at the root of the deep problems that we experience. Uh, this is not novel. This is really not that new. A lot of worldviews and religions believe this. What is strange, what looks very different in the gallery of world religions is the Christian solution to the problem. Like when you actually ask, okay, what is our worldview? What is our big story? How does it answer the problem of suffering? This is where it's remarkable. And this weekend, what I am, uh, I've been pondering and thinking about, and I want to bring to you the answer from the story we celebrate that happened 2,000 years ago, the answer to the problem of human suffering is astounding. We actually believe that God jumped into the thick of our suffering. That the God of the universe, the creator of all things, did not stand back a dimension away or two dimensions away and observe as we catastrophize and sort of tear ourselves apart. But rather this God came to, came to earth, as many of you know, Jesus of Nazareth lived, loved, and then suffered suffered with us. And when we think about even just, not, not Jesus' whole life, but even just the week leading up to the crucifixion, this is, this is what I hope to remind us all of today. Whether you are brand new, like Luke said, or like uh, Taylor said, someone put you in a headlock and tricked you to come to church, or you've been following Jesus your entire life, I want you to hear this. In your suffering, you are not alone. You need to hear this. You absolutely need to hear this. In your suffering, you are not alone. I, couldn't, I could not figure out how to condense everything down to 15 minutes. Let's face it, it'll be 20 minutes. I couldn't figure it out, so I literally made a list of just the week of Jesus leading up to the cross and on the cross of the sufferings that Jesus joined in. Uh, and, I, and so I made a list. So if you came to church this Easter and you're like, great, the pastor's going to read a list. I'm so glad I came. What a sexy sermon. Well, it's a list. How about this one? Start off. Have you ever been lonely? Have you ever experienced loneliness? No. no. <laughs> I love, well, you're, you're one of the most personable people, which is why. But remember, how about this? Yeah. How many of y'all are in elementary school right now? Where's my elementary school crew? Ah, okay. Right? Do y'all remember the first day of school? No one remember the first day of school? How'd you feel on that first day? Anyone? How'd you feel? Um, well, I felt like everybody was like asking about Fortnite and I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? How'd you feel? Yeah, how'd you feel on your first day? I was like, so great. Here it goes again. <laughs> oh, great. Here it goes again. What about you? How'd you feel on your first day? Anyone else? Yeah, what do you feel on your first day? <laughs> Oh, man, I love it. Weston, I need more of your optimism. The world needs it, Weston. I love it. I mean, you feel, yeah, Mark, what about you? You felt scared. Yeah. So, yeah, what about you? Opposite of nervous. Okay, good. This is a good balance. We need folks on all those sides. At some point, whether you're in elementary school, you're in junior high school, or high school, college, and, and when you're, you know, a middle-aged man like me, you, you realize, like, that thing of loneliness, it's a real deal. And sitting alone or feeling like, will people love me if they knew me? That's a scary question. Jesus of Nazareth, his best friends, one of his absolute best friends in the world, and all of them left him on the day he needed them the most. 
It says in Mark 14, there's this story. And it, 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 Jesus comes, gets arrested, and it says this about his best friends. Talk about loneliness. They all left him and fled. They all left him and fled. It's just a small, maybe the, one of the shorter sentences in the Bible, one of the most heartbreaking. Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely. And so those of you, whether you're in elementary school or junior high or you're you know, at the retirement home, and you're feeling that loneliness, Jesus has been there. How about this one? Have you ever felt like relational collapse or relational um, pain? How about this even worse, betrayal? If you've ever felt betrayal, if you've ever been betrayed by someone that says they love you, says they have your best intentions in mind, and they do something that shows they do not care about you, or whatever issues they have clouded it, so much that they couldn't even see how bad they hurt you. And you're sitting there in that betrayal. It's one of the, you, I would rather be in the hospital with like something ouchy than facing that emotional pain of betrayal. It is truly one of the worst things. Jesus of Nazareth was betrayed by one of his best friends for money. For money. There's this line in Luke 22, Judas Iscariot, one of the people that he did three years at least of living and loving and crying and laughing and eating and learning and struggling. The last encounter Jesus has with Judas is a kiss on the cheek. A kiss that was intended to point out to the people who wanted to destroy Jesus, here's the guy. And you could, you could feel it, can't you? The scratchy beard of Judas kissing Jesus. And Jesus says this in Luke 22, 47 and 48. Jesus asks him this. Judas, you're betraying me with a kiss? You're going to do it with a kiss, Judas. I mean, talk about betrayal. And the very next episode in Luke, the, literally the next scene, there's Peter, one of his go-to people, who denies that he knows him. Any middle schoolers in here? I'm not going to ask you to say anything, so don't feel bad. Any middle schoolers in here? Yeah. Anyone else? Come on, I know my daughter's in there. Where's Malachi? You're, you're almost high school. There's some middle schoolers. For some reason, my middle school experience was really tough. It was really painful, and I remember the feeling of friends pretending like they don't know you because you're not cool enough for them in that moment. The friends are scared. Will I be accepted? So I'm going to distance myself from James because I wore a lot of hair gel, a whole lot at that time, and it wasn't cool. And I remember the pain of it, though. It, it hurt so bad. It, it's still, I feel like the adult pain I've experienced isn't almost as bad as that. Jesus understands what it's like to be betrayed by dear friends. You're not alone in that. Have you struggled with anxiety? Anxiety, deep stress and pain. This the 4 a.m. wake-ups where you can't go back to sleep. The feeling like there's a million pounds on your chest. Like the world's going to fall apart if you don't figure it all out. Like it's just too much to bear. Jesus in Gethsemane, the garden before he goes to be crucified, he spends a wakeful night crying out, Father, take this cup from me. Which means, Lord, I, I don't want to go through this, God. Father, I don't want to go through this, but I'm going to align myself with your will. I know the purpose for this. All the Gospels share this. What about broken or corrupt Systems. How about politics and broken systems? Corrupt politics and broken systems. Who here is, 
is frustrated with broken systems of our world. Anyone here? Everyone's pretty excited about the pol political scene right now, right? It's so good. We've come together as a country, finally. It only took a little while, and we're working through our problems well, and I'm hopeful for the future of our political systems. How many of you are frustrated? Yes, it's so frustrating. Now all the junior hires are like, yeah, I hear my parents complaining about it all the time. It's an old person thing. You'll do it too one day. If you've ever been hurt by a broken system, not just frustrated by what you see on the news or what you hear going down the, the, um, the marketplace of ideas and, and politics, but if you've ever been truly hurt by the system, I remember the most painful moment in my family's life when our little guy Calvin, who we had for 14 months, were hoping to adopt, and the, the court just, by all accounts, this is not just a me telling this, by all accounts, the court made these horrible, a horrible decision to actually reunify him when he should not have been reunified with, with a particular group. And I remember leaving the courtroom, and we weren't allowed to talk in the court because foster parents can't say anything. And you just hear it all going on. You see the case going sideways, and you literally watch your beautiful baby boy and watch that this you will not see him again. And the judge looks at you and says, Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Pedophiles, I know this must be hard. Thank you for all you did. Next, boom. And I remember walking through the Edelman's Children Court lobby, just crying. I'm in my nice suit because I want to look good for court. And I'm sobbing, and I'm just, I'm begging for someone. Please, you have to listen to me. This shouldn't have happened. This is a mistake. This isn't right. Desperate. Does anyone understand how bad it feels to have a system, a blind, dehumanizing system, hurt you so badly? And the beautiful thing about the story is that we can answer with a wholehearted yes. Jesus of Nazareth, after being betrayed, after being arrested, after being beaten, he's standing there before Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the, the then praetor, which is kind of like a governor of that part of the Roman Empire. Pilate knows that these are trumped up charges. He knows it. He, he can see through. There's a local political dispute. It has something to do with the temple and the Jewish law. And I can see that Jesus' opponents are just doing this out of envy, not just to get him. Pilate could have done the right thing, the hard thing, could have had courage and said, you know, this might cause some trouble in your little local backwater temple state, but no, I see what you're doing and I'm not going to stand for it. Instead, Pilate, Pilate turns a blind eye to it and says, you know, this is too much trouble for me to get into. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to release whoever you want. You want Barabbas, a murderer, a violent insurrectionist, or do you want Jesus? And they, the crowd fomented by a particular group, of a minority group of, of temple stakeholders, the crowd says, give us Jesus, crucify him. Give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And Jesus is crushed by a system. He's ground in the gears of a human political system. Jesus understands your frustration if you are under the, the weight of broken systems. Physical suffering, pain, disease, chronic illness. I know I've been doing this pastor thing and professor thing long enough to know that there are so many pains that you just wish you can get, just pay a tax and get out of the pain. Can I just buy a ticket out? I don't want to suffer like this anymore. I'm sick of being chronically ill. I'm tired of waking up feeling like I'm in the gutter. I'm tired of hearing the doctor say, well, it's grown a little bit. We're going to try this now. I'm tired of being on the phone with insurance companies trying to figure out, can you just please pay for the medication? You're supposed to help me. Physical pain, 
Jesus understands it. I don't even have to review. You could read through the biographies of Jesus. All four of them towards the last third will give you details of the physical pain Jesus endured. Finally, death itself. A reality we all know is, is coming <laughs> pretty much 100% uh, for, for us humans. Jesus enters into that. So here's, here's what I want to say in summary. On that cross, we can be assured you are not alone in your suffering. You don't, there's no space, there's no room that Jesus has not walked and been in and suffering. That's the big point. And the beautiful point in my last two minutes over, I'm going to give you. The coolest thing is this. The fact that Jesus suffered with us, that the God of all creation came and dwelt with us and didn't just stand at a distance, but entered into our suffering. If that was the end of the story, that would be a beautiful story. It really would be. It would be beautiful to know we're not alone. Jesus suffered in solidarity with us. The coolest part is that he didn't just suffer in solidarity with us, but somehow, in some way, his suffering brought about a solution to our problem. It wasn't just suffering like a friend. It was suffering in such a way that began to turn back all that's wrong with the world. We see the words of Jesus on the cross. There's not a lot of them. If you have a red letter Bible, there's a few. One of them, Luke 23, Jesus says this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What's so beautiful about the resurrection, the empty tomb that we have sort of displayed on our screens, what's so beautiful about the empty tomb is that it tells us those aren't just powerful, beautiful words or hopeful aspirations. They are realities. When you say, God, I'm so sorry for the pain I've caused. I'm sorry for the systems I've participated in and benefited from that have hurt others. I'm sorry for the times I've walked away from you. I'm sorry for the things I've done that were just selfish or unjust, when you say those things, you can know the answer back is you're forgiven. And gosh, I love you. You're forgiven. And when Jesus stands up and his disciples see him in Luke 24, he reminds them, they hear this voice from Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations. I think that's, that's hope. Jesus didn't just suffer with you. You're not alone in your suffering. But there is so much hope. His suffering brought about solution. And so this is my sort of thought um, as, as we transition and I bring up whoever's coming up next. It's on the flow chart somewhere. I just tend to forget those things. <laughs> so whoever needs to come up, start coming up. But um, the, the implication is this. A lot of us have been living in the stuffy cabin of cynicism. The stuffy cabin of hopelessness. I used to work as a youth pastor back, way back in the day, and I'd stay in those junior high cabins at camp. And it seems kind of normal. You're in the cabin. It's normal air. You're breathing. Things are going good. You walk outside, and you go, oh, my gosh, oxygen. This is amazing. You walk back in the cabin, and you go, how could I have lived in that environment? Like nothing. That's a terrible smell. It's horrific. Like a lot of us, we've just become so used to the terrible smell of cynicism of hopelessness, of bleakness, of vengeance. 
And the call of Easter is open the windows and let the fresh air of hope breathe in. Because Jesus did not just suffer with you. He looked suffering in the face and said, no more. New creation begins now. Woo, it gets me all excited. All right, let's worship Jesus this morning. So is the band coming up? Yeah, all right, that's who's coming. Oh, Taylor, get up here. By the way, we were matching today. So, yeah. (laughs) Um, So as, as... as Taylor comes up and as the band comes up, uh, I want to invite everybody uh, to just, wherever you're at in your faith walk, whether you're just curious about this Jesus thing, you don't know much about it, or whether you're like me, born on a Tuesday in church on Sunday, that we can be encouraged that in our suffering, we're not alone. And suffering does not get the last word. That empty tomb declares hope wins, life wins, forgiveness wins. Taylor, tell us something beautiful. I mean, you already already did that, so here we go. But yeah, thank you, James. We hear about the beauty of the resurrection, and like James said, that it's Jesus entering into our suffering. The God of the universe become one of us, and knowing firsthand from firsthand experience what it's like to be us at our worst and in our worst, and then rising in victory over sin and death, and the brokenness of the world and conquering our suffering. And it's the sure hope that not only do we experience that in part now, we experience the hope of the resurrection in part now, but there's coming a day where everything wrong is going to be set right. And we look forward to that hope. We open up, like James said, the window of the stank of the world, and we let the fresh air of the hope of the resurrection in. And so right now, we're going to just have a moment to let that reality sit. And I just want to invite us, and some of us, this is going to be familiar and comfortable. Some of us, maybe it's a little new. Wherever your experience is, totally fine. But um, we're just going to have a moment of quiet just to hear from God and see if there's anything specific that James took us through in God's word that, that God wants to speak to us, that he wants us to take and to hold and not just pass through from one ear and out the other, but to really incorporate and internalize in our lives. And so right now, let's just have a moment um, if you feel comfortable, um, I invite you just to hold your hands out in a posture of, of receiving. Um, God made us with bodies on purpose, and what we do with our bodies helps us encounter him. And so if you feel comfortable to open up your, your, uh, your hands in a posture of receiving, and let's just have a moment of quiet. And in the quiet of your own heart, ask, God, is there anything specific you wanted me to hear? So let's pray that each in our own way, in our own words, in the quiet of our hearts to God right now. God, is there anything specific that you wanted me to hear? Come, Holy Spirit, would you speak? speak to us. Help us to learn what it looks like to um, live in light of the resurrection. Like James said, to open up the window and to breathe the fresh air of hope. Would you help us to take that, not just in a moment right now, but actually take that into our lives. Um, that as something as the anxieties and pressures and loneliness and betrayal or whatever the case is, pain um, of life in a fallen world happen to us. Um, would we, would we remember the resurrection? 
We ask for that in Jesus' name. Um, we want to be a people of response, a people that um, hear from God and say yes to Jesus, each in our own way, and that step's going to look different for each of us. Um, there's no script. You know, we're all, we're all walking with Jesus together as a community, but we do want to have a, a couple of specific opportunities if you're looking for something um, that we could give to you. And so um, in the, in the, the sheet that you, you probably got on the way in, there's a couple of next steps that we want to invite you to consider just as possibilities. Um, one that I'm really excited about is called Alpha. And Alpha is a space that we create a few times a year um, for folks that are, are questioning maybe wouldn't consider themselves followers of Jesus or people who would normally show up at a church service. And uh, we just have an open dialogue about a topic of life with Jesus. And it's a space to debrief, to process. If you're like, I don't really know what to make of this stuff or I'm not sure I believe in it, but I'm intrigued. This is a space for you. We specifically create it for that purpose. It's low pressure. We don't steer the conversation to land in a particular spot. We just uh, have a little conversation starter that takes us through some element of life with Jesus. And we just say, what do you find compelling? What do you find less than compelling? And it's just a space to debrief over dinner and drinks. And so um, that's going to start on April 24th. Um, it's going to be Mondays um, for about seven weeks. And uh, invite you guys to, um, to consider that or consider inviting someone to join you, maybe if you're not in that place, but you know someone that is. Um, also, we'd love, um, of course, to start our normal gatherings here. Um, this is a great way to continue to do life together if this is new for you. And we have all kinds of groups that you can get involved with. All the information is on our website, riversouthbay.org. But we just want to give you some specific things that you might, you might step into if you feel like the Lord is calling you to. So anyway, we're going to worship. Um, we, uh, we're going to respond. Um, one of the beautiful things that happens when we sing is there's this, this time where as we hear each other and we're putting this stuff into words on music, um, that this truth can kind of get from our heads into our hearts. And so that's what we're going to do right now. So would you guys uh, stand? We're going to worship together. The band's going to lead us out. I'm going to pray one more time to lead us in that space. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, right now, uh, tune our hearts to your heart. Would you help us to respond? Help us to, um, to not just sing words, uh, but to actually engage and encounter you. We pray for that. We ask that you continue to move, Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
The war on death was waged The power of hell forever broken The ground began to shake The stone was rolled away His perfect love could not be Death, where is your sting? Our resurrected King has rendered you rolled away His perfect love could not be Glorify 
go into this final song, I just want to invite all the parents to let their kids dance or sit on the floor or run around. I'm just so taken by the verse when Jesus called the kids to him, and it's really important to him. So as we finish this last song in worship service, the littles can just get all their wiggles out. And yeah, you parents can just let them go. Maybe we could, yeah, those doors are closed, so they won't get out, I promise. (laughs) I cast my mind to Calvary. Where Jesus bled and died for me, I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone. Messiah still and all Sing this in celebration today. Oh, praise the name. Oh, praise the name of the break of dawn the sun of heaven rose again oh trample death where is your sting the angels roll for Christ the King oh praise the name oh together he shall return he shall return in robes of love the blazing sun shall pierce the night and I will rise among the saints my gaze transfixed on Jesus' 
celebrate the kids and tell us next steps for how we are going to finish the service. Thanks, Kathy. Um, wow, that was great. And there's a lot of energy below, which um, I think the thing that I love about children is they embrace the joy of the season. Um, they have not had like the crushing moments of teenage years yet. And so they are down there and they're rejoicing just like these guys dancing and ready to celebrate. So um, we are going to celebrate the risen Lord. That's what Easter is all about. The egg hunt, I think it's just about new life. So we have 800 eggs and we have about, I don't know, 70 kids. So I'm thinking, I'm not going to do the math, but start with 10. And if there's more, you can have more. Um, if you didn't bring a basket, they, these are by the doorway and there's some baskets outside. Um, people with children here that don't have littles, you'll go out that door and just help yourself, monitor your own kids. If you have littles downstairs, go down, check them out, and then you can go through the worship room down there out to outside. But then you're in charge of your own children. Okay, let me just pray really quick. Father God, we just rejoice with you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you that today um, we get to enjoy new life, new life every day. You are righteous, you are holy, and we just thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.